0: this podcast is brought to you by The Hitched Wine Club. I'm excited to announce that we have a new Happily Ever After Wine Club membership that gives you six bottles of wine uh, delivered at the frequency of your choice, so monthly, bi-monthly, or quarterly. Uh, it's free shipping forever, and on your first shipment alone, you're saving nearly a $100 on, on your six bottles of wine, so it's really fantastic wine. Uh, it's perfect for the holiday season when you you're going over to people's houses and they're coming over to yours and you and you want to bring uh, uh, that special little gift uh, let us deliver it to you and when the holiday season's over you and your spouse will continue to get great wine again at the frequency of your choice Uh, so don't wait go now at hitchedmag.com and click on the wine club link happy holidays you really want to know what love is yeah yes tell us more than anything in the world Ron. Well, it's really quite simple. When you're married, you'll understand the importance of fresh produce. Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor in chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again with the lovely and super crazy knowledgeable Dr. Noel Nelson. Hi, Noel. Hi, Steve. Um, we are going to tap into that knowledge bank today uh, because, uh, we have a new DSM to talk about, um, and for those who um, don't know what that is, uh, the American Psychiatric Association um, has a, a book of Diagnostic and uh, Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, the DSM, um, and they approve it um, every uh, It's been quite a long time, I believe like 13 years since the last one was uh, published, uh, the new version. And so for the last couple years, um, there have been 1,500 experts uh, in psychiatry, psychology, social work, etc., weighing in on – things to include or take out of the book. Um, It has gotten input from 39 different countries, and uh, on December 1st, 2012, they just announced that uh, the final book has been approved, and it will publish in the spring. I think the month is May of 2013. Uh, So we are going to talk today about... um, what this all means, um, the inclusions, the exclusions. Uh, is there anything you want to add um, about the DSM, Noel? Uh, maybe, you know, I just kind of brushed over it, but anything right. you want to add about it?
1: Well, I think we need to, to clarify a couple of things. That its purpose, the purpose of the DSM, is to classify, describe, and diagnose mental disorder. So it's a huge undertaking. And it is used primarily by psychiatrists, but also by psychologists and social workers and so forth. Um, It is always a work in progress. In Uh other words, the DSM is not something static. It's kind of like when you Google information on something. You get one answer one day, and then the next day it's been revised. Uh So with the DSM, it moves a lot slower. But... Uh they, they, it's the same principle. And the other thing that is really important for our listeners is the DSM is that thing that your mental health professional uh goes to to find the, the classification that they can put on your insurance. And that's where it has a lot of importance for regular folk, is that it's what the insurance companies then look at and say Aha! This this is written according to this code. Therefore, we reimburse it at X rate, whatever that is.
0: Okay. So if it if it didn't make it into the DSM, your insurance company likely won't recognize it, and it won't be covered. And vice versa. Is that really what it comes down Absolutely. to?
1: Absolutely. Your insurance company will not recognize it. Period. End of sentence. Yeah. But, um, and this we'll, we'll discuss as we as we move along in our conversation today. Uh, there are all sorts of of ways that mental health professionals work with, knowing that that's how insurance companies operate.
0: Mm, Okay. And this also comes down to, um, uh, so if something's classified as a disorder, does that also mean that uh, we can start prescribing, I say we, uh, (laughs) uh, that the professionals within the field can begin prescribing pills and things of that nature?
1: Yes, but it's not quite that rigid. In, in other words, just because something wasn't classified didn't mean that it didn't get treated. Got it, okay. With, with pills or, or talk therapy or, or the various you know, modes that exist. So it certainly encourages, if you will, the pharmaceutical companies to invest more in research in that area. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, but it doesn't mean that people don't get treated. Just
0: if it if it doesn't happen to be included, okay. And I think this is a good segue to talk about one of the probably the maybe not the most important or uh, but definitely, I guess I you could say the the most talked about well one of the most talked about and definitely the sexiest, <laughs> uh, which is <laughs> the the rejection of uh, sex addiction being in there. Did it surprise you that it was rejected?
1: Not really. Um, what people don't realize about the DSM is that the, they, when they put the DSM together, it is called, on purpose, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. Mm-hmm. And the thing with sex addiction is that sex addiction is very sexy. In other words, it, it makes a big impression. But the problem is is that having lots of affairs does not qualify as sex addiction. Sex addiction is a, a very devastating and quite horrific disorder. It's not just someone who likes a lot of sex. And so for the DSM to include it as a category of mental disorder, it would have to be much more prevalent in our population. And that's the part that I don't think most most lay people know. Uh, You have to know how the DSM is put together. And it is not just diagnostic. It is statistical.
0: So even though you're talking about it and you're you're recognizing it as a disorder the way you're talking about it. You're saying that it wasn't included just because there's not enough, uh, there's not enough people who suffer from it or there's not enough statistical evidence of people suffering from it. And do you, I guess my follow-up question to that is do you believe not having um, a, a large enough body of people means it's not worth inclusion?
1: I I would really be reluctant to say that something isn't worth inclusion, but let's put it this way. If you start specifying absolutely everything as a disorder, the DSM almost loses its value. It's too difficult, too cumbersome to work with. But let me give you an example because I think this will help. The DSM definitely changes and morphs as society changes and morphs. For example, the DSM-3, which was I think in 1950, defined people. With problems with alcohol as alcoholic, or excuse me, DSM 2, defined people as alcoholics and put it in the category of personality disorder, which really was harsh in the sense that people were slammed with, well, that's who I am, as mm-hmm. opposed to, this is a problem I have. The DSM 3 changed that and put, they dropped alcoholic, alcoholism. And they now they then considered alcohol abuse and alcohol dependence, and they put those in the larger framework of substance abuse it was no longer personality disorder. So it's very important to recognize that with sex addiction, okay? Yeah. People who have issues in in, in and suffer from literally sex addiction can be treated, but they'll be treated and they'll be diagnosed perhaps under other categories. Like obsessive compulsive or anxiety or other, other, if you will, underlying or
0: Some ancillary more root causes.
1: Attached. Yes. Okay. And So it's not the people who are genuinely sexually addicted and believing it is not a fun disorder. Those individuals, it does not mean they won't be treated, but it means that the category doesn't have sufficient statistical significance okay. to be included. Yeah. And it's a big, big difference. And frankly, I wish media charge you with the following <laughs> really help people distinguish between people who love sex, people who have affairs, and the very different category of sex addiction, which is where it is devastatingly harmful to your life and i think
0: i mean we've talked a lot about affairs and different things on this podcast in the past and you know 99.9% of the time it's because of something else is going on which prompted that affair uh wasn't yep. their uh incessant need to have sex so no
1: 99.9% of them is not so that's why I, in my opinion yeah. it didn't make it into the DSM. I don't think it means that if you are genuinely suffering that you're not going to get help. You will.
0: Yeah. And one of the interesting things, though, I think, is not only was it not included, but they didn't even put it in um, the, the section of the DSM where uh, let's take a further look and do more research on this for consideration the next go around. Uh, did, I mean, did it surprise you that they were just like, nope, we're not even going to continue down this path?
1: No, because, quite frankly, what they think is worthy of consideration to make change tomorrow. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, that doesn't even begin to trouble me.
0: And you were talking about the earlier DSMs. I guess I should mention, this will be DSM-5, for those right. who are keeping score at home. Um, now, Between the
1: revised editions. <laughs> in other words, it wasn't 15 years since the last DSM. There was, in after the DSM-4, there was a DSM-4R. I mean, there's, there's sort of... Um, Intermediate versions, but for them to actually launch the whole new yeah.
0: one is always a deal. You know. Like software, it's you know seven point oh, seven point two, seven point three before they do the big, the big change. Um, and uh, you know another admission, uh, I'm sorry, omission um, was. I get, they call it parental alienation syndrome, uh, which effectively would have provided a diagnosis uh, for kids who were having difficulty dealing with their parents' divorce. Um, so I, I guess since these kids are are not being diagnosed with this parental alienation syndrome, uh, what what can I guess? Where does this leave parents?
1: i think it's really important for parents to recognize that a diagnosis is no guarantee of a cure Uh, okay uh a diagnosis is a completely different beast from treatment and what a parent needs to look for isn't a psychiatrist or mental health worker who's particularly good at pinning categories on their kids but needs to look for a mental health professional who is compassionate and knows how to work with children—that is more valuable, Steve, than all the diagnosed categories in the world. And quite frankly, a mental health professional will assign a, a category to the child, uh, which allows treatment to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Anxiety—I mean, frankly, if you're a kid, if you're having that kind of problems with your parents divorce you're anxious. Sure. You're probably depressed. You're acting out. And all of those are available categories in the DSM, the previous DSM, and they will continue to be so. So I think that it is, it, it can be troubling on the surface, but more importantly is to remember a diagnosis is not a cure mm-hmm. or a treatment. And to look for, the, the, and they are many, the marvelous mental health professionals who specialize in working with children and who do a fantastic job.
0: And I, I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up that that point too. That a, a diagnosis uh, doesn't mean that there there's a cure or vice versa. Um, that's a really great point. Um, it, something new that has been recognized is um, that you know this was something that had been um, included before but not given uh, I guess its full recognition. Uh, that depression um, you can now be depressed for uh, the bereaved. Um, so you know, a spouse, a family member, somebody um, passes away, and before they they saw this as um, you know, they recognized that you were sad, but they weren't diagnosing you as somebody who was actually depressed. Uh, do you, do you think this is a, a good call on this one, uh, recognizing that people can go into a state of depression after they lose someone they love and close to them?
1: Well, there are there are two different. Phases, in other words, there is a normal grief process uh-huh. which lasts a certain amount of time, and what this category addresses is people who, once they have, if you will, gone through that that time of the grief process, were not able to let go, mm. and just sank lower and lower into depression. And I think it's it's absolutely legitimate. And I think what it reflects, Steve, is the uh, the deaths that are occurring in our society that are unexpected that might lead some people to post-traumatic stress disorder for example just yesterday there was a shooting in the portland mall
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i think if you lost your 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 wife your daughter your husband your your cousin whatever in that that it might be very difficult to go through a normal quote unquote grieving process and release i think that those sorts of deaths that kind of thing the school shootings uh, innocent bystanders who get killed in drive-by's, uh, the the number of military deaths that we've had, terrorist 9/11 deaths, all of those I think have complicated the process of bereavement. Mm-hmm. So it's not like Aunt Betty died in her bed, or or even that your wife whom you adored died of breast cancer. I mean, those are in a sense natural. Do you, do you know what? Am I making?
0: Yeah, sense? yeah. They're they're they're. You you don't want to like to identify these things as expected deaths, but you can kind of see them coming. But it's, they are. Yeah.
1: I mean, in other words, if you know that that you're. I mean, God help me. I don't want anybody's child to die of leukemia. But if, if leukemia is present, uh, there are very good chances. And in a sense, the mind, the psyche, takes that on differently mm-hmm. than these. I mean, really, these people in the Portland Mall yesterday, it's appalling. Yeah. Or school shootings. What a, what a horrific thing for someone to go through. And some people go to post-traumatic stress disorder with it. Some people recover from normal grief. But a lot of people spiral down into depression. So to be able to have a category for that, I think, is soothing and appropriate
0: now when we were talking about sex addiction um you brought up that it can be diagnosed in other ways getting to the some of those root causes and when you're talking about this bereavement process you were bringing up uh that it can uh cause pt uh uh, PTSD. ptsd yes and um so you you see these as two different things then that this the the, the bereavement diagnosis is uh, something separate from the PTSD.
1: Oh, absolutely. Post traumatic stress disorder has very well defined criteria that include nightmares, flashbacks, uh, really awful stuff. Mm-hmm. And most people, uh, when if it, 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 let's put it this way, if you've been in a military. Uh, situation with bombs exploding and you 're watching your best friend you know be blown up to bits and all that kind of stuff you're more likely to 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 end up with PTSD if you't you know if, you, if your mind can't quite wrap itself around it sure. whereas Ed, if you're you, know, you you're one of the Portland Mall survivors, so to speak, or, or you weren't there, but your your, your wife was and she uh-huh. died whatever you' are more likely to go into uh, bereavement depression. So it's, it's a very different category. And of course, there's spillover. That's the thing with mental disorders, yeah. is they're not, you know, it, this isn't a cookie-cutter world. Yeah. So there is spillover. But again, the important thing is that I think given the increase in unexpected death among one's family and, and loved ones, it is appropriate to recognize that with a category of bereavement depression. It also helps people know that it won't go on forever. You know, depression is treatable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and some people are in that situation. It may feel like it will never lift.
0: And I think that uh, I mean, you brought this up earlier, is about you know, if you if you're able to diagnose something, you know, there there should be some sort of treatment to follow. And I think that's got to offer some sort of comfort for these people who may be in this situation. So
1: absolutely, yes. And it will encourage again, pharmaceutical companies to to develop um, uh, medications that are maybe more specific, you know, to the areas of the brain that bereavement impacts.
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, I don't know. Right?
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, a podcast we can do by itself. Is just uh, how this will impact uh, medications and insurance and all sorts of stuff. Um, but that I think that's for another day. Um, to to kind of. Wrap things up here. Um, now, some there are a lot of other things that were included, and some that are you know getting a second look. For example. Um, and our internet use, gaming disorder is, is uh, was thrown into that. Let's do some more research on on it. Um, but binge eating disorder, hoarding disorder, uh, excoriation or skin picking disorder. Um, these were all things that were now included. Um, mm-hmm. There are you know tons of other things. There's a whole. Uh, a a big shakeup within autism and the the different shades of autism. Um, Any any of this stuff that you want to throw your two cents in on?
1: One, I would like to because I think the way it came to the attention of the mental health uh, professionals is different, and that is the hoarding behavior, hoarding disorder. Uh I think that the, the media has played a very large role in bringing this to light with the the various TV shows about hoarders, because hoarding is one of those things that people tend to do in private and in secret, and often does not get discovered until they're dead, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: okay? Or until they become very disabled and then someone walks into their home and sees it. So I think that oddly enough, the media played a large role in bringing to the attention of the mental health community that, you know guys, this exists. Uh And it ain't pretty, and it has impact on their friends and family and loved ones and so on and so on. Um, I'm not here doing an advertisement for the show The Hoarders, Uh, (laughs) but I think it's part of recognizing that the DSM responds to what's going on in society. Just like when they dropped alcoholics as, that's it, you're doomed for life, and and recognize that it was an abuse issue and not a personality issue. I think that with hoarding, they've started to recognize it's not just Crazy Uncle Fred, you know, of which there may be two in the entire state, but rather that there are a sufficiently significant number of people who do suffer from this disorder, and it has been very private for a very
0: long time. Mm -hmm. This seems... um... Uh, 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 two two things. A uh, quick little tangent here. I was reading yesterday that um, God, I don't remember if it was hoarders. It was the one where they go and they open up the containers, and you know, there's all yes. that stuff Stor- in there. Storage. Yes, thank you. Storage wars. So it was that one. One of the uh, cast members. On TV, Steve. What's that? Keep up on your reality TV. <laughs> I see. I don't watch it. I I caught this in the news. So, anyways, one of the cast members said uh, he's suing the company um, because he was talking about how it's it's completely rigged and that they stuff items into these storage containers and sometimes the bidding itself isn't even real. So, anyways, I just thought that was an interesting little aside. Um, but not terribly surprising. No, and I you know I I read it and I was like, well, of course, because if you. Watch any reality TV, and you think any of it's real. I, you know, I, you know, you might be diagnosed with some disorder. It's all sta- <laughs> staged, in my book. Um, but the thing with the hoarding issue, which I find really interesting, and I'm not dismissing it, um, is I feel like this is kind of one of those 21st century uh, issues um, where we, like in a consumer society, we have, I guess, the luxury of being hoarders. Where no, I would no.
1: Hoarding is not about materialism. Hoarding is a compulsion. Okay. And it 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 exists way back when all people hoarded was newspapers. They just picked them up off the street and you know made shelves and, and you know just made labyrinths in their house out of newspapers piled one on top of the other. Hoarding is, is I think you're, um the point you're making, Steve, has more to do with consumerism, mm-hmm. which is a 21st century disorder, if you will, and and really has not been classified as such in any way, shape, or form because so many of us are guilty of it. We'd all be, you know, trotted off to the loony bin. Uh, But hoarding is a compulsion, and it, 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 they probably make it look sexier on TV than it really is um, because it's not necessarily about ladies who go on, on QVC and buy up everything, you know, that the television suggests. Hoarding is much more about collecting obsessively items and the the absolute need to keep everything people used to do it with balls of string
0: mm, okay
1: you know make great big balls of string and kept them all over the house
0: no that's a that's a really great point that's a really great point because I mean I I, I mean it, it's it's clarified it for me uh as as I think the, I think the compulsion aspect of it is uh, what what brings clarity to this issue, rather than just collecting stuff. Because I think there is like there is a difference between being a collector and you know collecting a whole bunch of Star Wars paraphernalia, for example, and having that compulsion, that need to if you see something you have to get it, you know, regardless of the circumstances.
1: What you'll notice is that genuine hoarding often is eclectic. It's anything and everything.
0: Got it. Okay. I mean, it, it's just whatever. So, so basically, <laughs> <bullshit>. what you're <laughs> what you're saying is my piles of magazines that I have because it's <laughs> singular. Uh, I, I, I I avoid this diagnosis.
1: <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> Can you still walk through your house?
0: <laughs> barely, barely.
1: It's uh, always- Mental disorder always has to, and this is on a more serious note, sure. it always has to be creating a dysfunction in your life. Okay. So you can collect your National Geographics from year one, and if it's not interfering with your life, in other words, you're able to go to work, you're able to maintain your relationship with your wife, uh, you don't happen to have children, Steve, but if you had kids, if it didn't interfere with your uh, ability to raise your kids and enjoy your kids, if it's not creating a dysfunction in your life, it's not going to be a mental disorder. And, and that's maybe the most basic uh, a bit of information that we can convey. If it's causing some kind of dysfunction, either in your life or your ability to relate to others, then it's going it's to be going close to mental disorder. If it's not creating any kind of dis you or your family or your friends or anybody like that, then it's not a mental disorder.
0: Okay. So bad decisions. It
1: makes
0: you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bad decisions don't qualify as mental disorders, they're just bad decisions.
1: Yeah, not unless you're making them over and over and over again and they are impacting your life in some really awful way.
0: Got it. Okay. Perfect. Um I you know, this is I I just find this whole thing fascinating because I, it affects so many things. As we talked about the and you know, the entire mental health industry is going to be impacted by this. Uh so I think it's great that we you know, you shared your knowledge on this topic. And you know, maybe back maybe um in the future around the time that it's actually uh, published we can revisit some of the stuff as, as more information is given out or we start to see some of the impacts of this because um, I think we're going to see a lot of stuff you know along with the healthcare changes within the country uh, plus you have some new rules coming out here with this book uh, so uh, this is this is definitely not going away, and as you mentioned, it's a, it's an ongoing Wikipedia type <laughs> uh, publication that's constantly being updated and revised and tweaked and changed. So, lots of yep. good stuff. Um, and
1: I think it's if I may for a last note, remind our our listeners that the most important thing, if if you or a loved one is having some um, mental health issues, is the diagnosis isn't nearly as important as finding a caring, good, treating professional. And they, there's many of them, and you can absolutely find them.
0: That is a uh, – you know what? I'm not even going to spoil that. That is a fantastic point. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap it up on that and uh, wholeheartedly agree. So thank you so much for your time, Noelle. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I, before everybody uh, logs off here, I want to remind everybody, you are listening to Dr. Noelle Nelson, who is – as you can tell, a fantastic relationship expert, popular speaker in the U.S. and abroad, also the author of nine best-selling books. Her two most recent relationship books are *Your Man Is Wonderful* and *Dangerous Relationships*. She also has a new um, Kindle ebook: uh, *Make More Make More Money by Making Your Employees Happy*. Uh, so, for all you people out there getting, uh, you know, the Amazon Kindle for Christmas for your spouse or whatnot, and they're uh... you know a manager of some business get this book download it have it ready so they have something to read when they crack it open on christmas morning um, you can get more information uh... from noel Excuse me. At her website, uh, NoelleNelson.com. You can follow Noelle on Twitter at Doctor Noelle Nelson. Uh, I am on Twitter at Hitched Media. You can get lots, lots, lots more information on our website at uh, HitchedMag.com. Tons of stuff from Noelle. Uh, Be sure to check out all of the past podcasts. Lots of really great information there. Um, And if you listen on um, iTunes, uh, be sure. Well, I guess even if you're not listening on iTunes, go into to the iTunes um, store and and give us a little ranking. Give us a comment. Let us know what you think, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, we you know we are in a constant, just like the DSM, we're constantly trying to evolve and change and tweak to make things better for you. So let us know what you think. Um, and that'll do it for us. So one last time. Thanks, Noelle. Thank you, Steve. Okay, take care, everybody. I just want to say one thing to my wife who's home
1: Yo, I did it! They certainly got the idea. They feel free to express love. It's worth all those awful, frank discussions at the dining room table.
0: Hitched entertains, educates, and inspires married couples.